0: Hey guys, before we start the show, I want to thank our friends over at Podcorn for sponsoring today's episode. We've been using Podcorn for quite a while now to find sponsors for our show, and we love it. Podcorn has created an open marketplace for connecting podcasters to amazing sponsorship opportunities and packaged it into an easy-to-use platform. Signing up is quick and easy. Just provide an email, some information about your podcast, and you're ready to browse and choose a variety of opportunities. The thing we like most about Podcorn is the creative freedom and control it offers. You decide who you want to work with, you set your own rates, craft your own proposals, and get paid. No middleman. It doesn't matter the size of your podcast, whether you're new or have been doing this a while. Podcorn has the tools and resources to help connect you directly with brands that want to sponsor your show. So click the link in our show notes to sign up at Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today.
1: All right, welcome to the Common Denominators podcast. Uh, Let me clear up a a little rumor that's been going around. We're not deceased. Uh, We haven't (laughs) quit the podcast, uh, but it has been one month since our last social media post. Five? it been one month? Yeah. Yeah, it has. Uh, My research team provided that to me today. It's been five weeks since our last episode, where we're normally on a two week rotation. And today we're entering phase three, and we are all back in the studio for the first time in three hey, months. Good so to be back. We're hugging and shaking yeah. hands. and How's everybody feeling? You're glad good. to be back together? <laughs> yeah, much
2: needed vacation.
1: Quarantine's uh, sneakily tiring. <laughs> yes. Dra- been, drained me.
2: I've never been so exhausted in my
1: life. Well, we've, uh, we're joined uh, this episode by a friend of the podcast, Bryant Presley. Brian. Hello. Thanks for joining us. No
3: problem. It's going to be fun. It might be.
1: It might be. <laughs> no guarantee. There are no guarantees. Stay tuned. <laughs> Adam polishes it up to where all of our interviews yeah. sound like they had a lot of fun. <laughs> but so We have a laugh track. I sometimes <laughs> add. Yeah. Yeah. He takes out all the groaning and the, the crying. Is it, am I really doing this? So, uh, I'm going to make the case for Brian. I'm going to do a little introduction here of uh, what little I know about Brian. And, and I'm going to try to make the case of how he fits into the group and why uh, he's going to be a common denominator for the day. It's kind of like Keys to the City. Oh, sweet. Just last one day. So, first and foremost, Brian, and please correct me uh, when I mess up, that happens quite a bit. Sometimes I only remember these guys' names. But uh, number one, uh, Brian is a husband and father of two kids, just like all of us. I think it's two girls. Absolutely. Just like That's Adam. It. Okay. Good start by me. Uh, he was in the military, very similarly to our uh, fellow man over here, Adam. I <laughs> think their careers are very similar. Longer. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe the term of service was different. Yeah, but. <laughs> that could be the only difference. <laughs> so, Brian, what what uh, uh, what branch did you serve in and for how long?
3: I was a U.S. Army Reserve, and it was uh, six years. Six so years. How much longer
4: is that than you, Adam? And he you beat me us? by five years, uh, <laughs> eleven months,
1: and one day. Thank <laughs> well, you, Buzz, for your service. Like <laughs> um, Bryant uh, was a guard at the uh, at a correctional facility. And uh, three of the Dominator's favorite movies are The Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption, and uh, The Rock. So we know everything that goes on within a, yeah, a jail. So or probably can't teach us a lot there, but <laughs> we'll, we may talk about it. <laughs> Number four, uh, you were a police officer. And uh, Adam and Kyle are head of our security team at church, so probably pretty similar, aren't you? Oh, you I, absolutely. Let's talk, let's I'm everything just, we you
3: know, do, night shift, you know, You've all that kind the of the stuff. You guys can talk shop. Yeah, i <laughs> have seen the born ultimatum. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah same thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's lots of stuff at Golden Church. Pepper spray people when they mm. jump in the aisles. Mm-hmm. And number five, I really couldn't find an intelligent way to link this to the common denominators. I think you uh, work in cybersecurity these days, I so. Do. You've had a, a, a wide range uh, in your career, but in all seriousness, I mean, just as a uh, your service in the military and as a police officer, we always say thank you and appreciate that. And I know that's not what you're doing anymore, but we're still thankful. And I know as dads, uh, the older you get, you think back about those and think of all the, the risk and the uh, sacrifice that sometimes goes with that. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I appreciate that all the more. Oh, the yeah, I absolutely. Brian is joining us at a great time where we just passed uh, Police Appreciation Week. We're coming up on, uh, we just passed Memorial Day and 4th of July. So a lot of the things that he's done in his career are things that, you know, have been on our minds. So we're excited to, Brian, to pepper you with some questions just about your career and how you got from different uh, places and and how, uh, you know, maybe some of the uh, interesting stories that you'll have to share with us. But before we get there, we've got to do a segment we call Dad Dumps. And uh, we're excited about having you join that—the first guest that's ever joined this segment. With that being said, you guys ready to go? Let's Let's roll! roll. All right, so welcome to Dad Dumps. Uh, Everybody around the microphone here knows what it is, but if you're a first-time listener, uh, welcome. And uh, it's just a time where we share life as dads. It could be funny stuff, it could be great memories, it could be uh, huge mistakes we've made as dads. Anything in between uh, is fair game for this segment. So, uh, Brian, I know you're new to this, uh, so I'll start us off and give you an example. I'm the elder uh, of the group here, as we all know, and uh, I'm getting old and I'm feeling it. And twice in the last, within a week, um, I had some major injuries, uh, and they're quite embarrassing. Well, one of them is really embarrassing. But first, uh, my seven-year-old, Grant, has challenged me to a race in the backyard. And as we've talked about, as a dad, you never let your kid win. Mm-hmm. So yes. Kyle was present for this. W- I'm a witness. Uh, we didn't, um, didn't stretch out anything. Took it. I will s- gladly say that I did beat him to the finish line, but it wasn't without uh, issue. I heard, for the first time in my life, a pop. And it was in my right. What I'm—I've self-diagnosed it as my Achilles, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I've partially torn my Achilles. Oh <laughs> gosh! And I'm waiting for the rest to snap off any second. <laughs> it's gonna roll up like a, a blind. A shade. Every time I get out of the truck, it just feels like it's gonna do that. So,
2: I uh, will say you were on a Usain Bolt pace at that point and he <laughs> lifted home to beat his son. I mean it was it was photo finish with one leg. By
1: Usain Bolt you mean I beat my seven-year-old by like three steps. Yeah I don't know if it was three. <laughs> might, have been, might have been it was closer to photo three finish, feet. So. Yeah but the more embarrassing one was we went on a little uh, journey to my the creek at my dad's farm and we were just walking down through it and this was like three weeks ago so it was still the water was really cold and as a dad you know the kids are getting dirty and they want you to get in at the creek with them and as you get older you start to question do I really want to get in that ice cold and dirty water but I think about it I'm like you know what I need to do it for the kids let's just go have fun so I get down it's it's only like 10 inches deep and so I get down into push-up position and as soon as I do the water is so cold that I immediately sprain the muscle in between my shoulder blades (laughs) (laughs) and it is a top 10 pain in my life it just feels like somebody has stabbed me right in the back and so you almost I can became, only account
2: that to being old you came you almost became one of the first humans to drown in 10, 10 inches of creek water <laughs> as you went face planting <laughs> the water and are you sure to, it
1: wasn't a crawdad that was attached to <laughs> I, I wish it was adam <laughs> I think, uh, you know, that's what my kids are going to remember for the rest of their lives. It's not going to be about all the things we found. It's going to be about the the time Dad injured his shoulder blades because the water was too cold.
2: This has been story time with Papaw Smith.
1: (laughs) So how many more good years do you think you have (laughs) in you, Ryan? At this pace, two tops. I'm not going to be around for much longer, guys. (laughs) So soak it up as much as you can. I think I got the feel for
3: Dad Dump, so I can go next Jump in there. Okay um so yeah we uh put our girls down every night they sleep in the same room together um i got two girls
1: i can't wait to hear how you
3: injured yourself doing this <laughs> not involving an injury just uh just a funny moment but uh rowan's the youngest got so yeah, two-year-old and one-year-old but uh you know my wife she'll rock the littlest in the the rocking chair and then i'll go over to tatum and say prayers with her kiss her goodnight and stuff and you know I'm like, okay dad's going to bed night night and i give her a kiss and a hug and she goes, come here, let me hug you, let me hug you. And she, she always does that. So I come back over, she gives me a hug, and she kisses my forehead, and she says, happy Mother's Day. I said, okay, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I walked out, yeah, thank you. That's the best. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so the, uh, the, the other funny one with the oldest, with Tatum, she watches a show called Blippy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're oh, big Blippi oh, fans yeah. of the yeah. Jones House. We're yeah. in the Blippy. She sings the songs and spells, you know, B-L-I-P-P-I, blippy. And uh, so anyways, he teaches the kids all about, you know, dump trucks and garbage trucks and mail trucks and police cars. And uh, uh, my daughter was with my mother-in-law and they were driving by and she, my mother-in-law, Cammie, she uh, looks out the window. She goes, look, Tatum, it's a bulldozer. And Tatum says, "That's not a bulldozer. That's an excavator." Yes. <laughs> oh, and thank you, Blippy, for getting her correct. Pro- prodigy here. Yeah, so she <laughs> she uh, didn't miss a beat on that one. Um, so my oldest, she's in the potty training phase. She's doing great, number one. But she's trying to struggle. She's struggling with number two a little bit. So, but we've been wearing pull ups a lot. Um, over the past month, everybody or just her? (laughs) Just clarifying, (laughs) team effort. When I say we, I'm just kidding. But now she has been wearing pull-ups and uh, she's done pretty well. And uh, anyways, it was close to bedtime and um, I'm sitting on the couch and they're running around the living room. I just looked, you know, kind of the you know corner of my eye and I saw Rowan on the ground and. She had something like in her hand. She was bringing it to her mouth. She eats oh. everything, you know. Oh no! You can kind of tell where this is going. Keep it going. Yep. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> so, so I see the cat. We have a we have a cat, and the cat is standing right there near her and and kind of walking away. And uh, I'm like, oh no, Roan Roan! And I go up to her and I grab her and grab her hand, and I'm like, you know, Mackenzie, get in here! And I think oh, the cat geez. just threw up or something. And, like, I just had her wrist in my hand, and I caught a waft of poo smell. Oh, <laughs> well, that and, uh, up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, wait a second. And then I remembered that Tatum had not gone number two in a while. And it wasn't the cat. It wasn't cat poo. It was leaking out of her pool. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a small piece, but I think I caught it just in time before she – you know, ingested that. Oh, yeah, that's tough.
2: But we knew you fit right in on this podcast. <laughs> and listen, we're in the same phase with Jack. We're in the pull-up phase. Does great with number one. He just refuses to poop on the potty, and there's only so much a pull-up can do. You know, it's it's not quite the same as the full-blown diaper. So, man, when he's he's had a lot to eat, and he goes wild on that pull-up, hey,
1: we got a leakage. I've got another one. This one goes way back, but it's, I've got to tell him. It's in the same uh Genre, but Reed uh, didn't like taking naps. He, He wanted to quit when he was like two, so we would try to shut his door to keep him in. And uh, he would always have some act of defiance. Well, one day he took his pull-up off oh, and shoved all the little poo balls under his door. <laughs> they were lined up like a little family. The ones that were small enough to roll under were fine, but the ones that he had to cram through, it was a rough oh, scene. God. A lot of cleaning up all day. Oh, oh, well. Yeah, because as soon as you sweep that door <laughs> open, there's streakage. Yeah, and uh-huh. I think I always look back and think, why didn't I take a picture of that? that oh, yeah. That would be, yeah. that'd be great. <laughs> I gotta give Jackson props. He's actually
0: killing like the potty training game right now. He's become an expert uh uh peer on the bushes too. That's uh, like his kind of thing, whatever. Man's man. How's yeah. his marksmanship? Is it's, it's improved. Advanced? It's yeah. very improved. He's and got a the nice, bushes started dying Nice yeah. arc to it. He's he's got some good accuracy there, so so the Fried frog father here, the, frog pier, <laughs> the paddle wheel and the frog is paid off. It's all paying off now. I actually got to tell a quick story, a quick uh, dad dump about what happened to us yesterday. Our, our family is pretty much, we're done with the quarantine now. We're kind of, and it's because of the kids. Like everything kind of came to a head a few days ago because the kids just really got stirred crazy. Like I think it's just really gotten to them now and they've realized that there's just, there's not a lot of parks they can go to. So it's driving them crazy. So we're like, all right, we got to do something about this. Thought about going. We literally thought about packing up and just going to the beach like it was that bad. But we settled instead to go to the Tennessee Safari Park in Jackson, Tennessee. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, not the Emerald Sands yeah. of the beach are just
0: <laughs> not quite the beach. But regardless, the kids, uh, you know, they had been to a similar park. And this is a, a type of park where you actually drive through and the animals like come up to your car and you've got like all your buckets of food oh, and you kind cool. of stick oh, it oh, up. Yeah, yeah. So it's really cool and it's very interactive. The kids like it. And so we get there, and it takes, like, over an hour to get in, which is just insane. But um, kids did great, and we're, you know, starting to go through the line. We already have our food bucket and everything, and Jackson is on on Timmy's lap, and I've got Thea in my lap. Since she's smaller, I can handle handle her a little bit better up there and, and drive at the same time. The giraffe's not going to
2: snatch her. Out yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so I've also, I'm driving, I'm holding her, and I've also got the, you know, bucket of, like, food in, in the other hand. And, like, the bucket of food, I mean, it it, it looks like it's not even fit for, like, your dog. You know, it looks like just mini, like, pretzels or something like that. It just, you know, it has a very significant smell. Anyway, so we're driving around, and my wife all of a sudden notices that Thea kind of has her hand curled up in the bucket, almost like, you know, it's like a bucket of popcorn, and she's just got her hand sitting in there, you know, waiting to take another bite. (laughs) Another bite being the key word. And we're like... It doesn't look like she's chewing anything. And we're like, surely, surely she's not eating this. So we wait a few seconds, and sure enough, <laughs> she, she starts <laughs> scooping it into her mouth. We're like, Thea, no! She drops it immediately and just starts crying. She was so embarrassed.
2: And then she smiles, and is
0: all in her teeth. It was all in her teeth. <laughs> she, she, she had gone back for a second bite (laughs) as far as you know it was a second it could have been a yeah so i i felt like as a dad i really let her down by not not watching her that day
1: but uh well she
0: appreciates the snack nonetheless now
1: now speaking of kids eating i don't want to put you on the spot here but i saw one of my favorite videos of all time of jackson and maybe a secret camera that timmy had set up for him (laughs) Can you tell us about that? Because yeah. that was great.
0: So there's this. And you guys have probably have seen. You, it. Have you guys seen this video? Yeah. yet? it's like yeah. a social, no, I haven't seen It's a, ch- cha- a challenge. Is that it, what exactly? It is? It's yeah. like a challenge going on now where people will kind of put a hidden camera on their kids or and, or or dogs. Yeah, or dogs. Um, <clears> and they'll sit some kind of food, you know, within reaching distance in front of them, and, and say, "Okay, Jackson, um, you know, I got to go over here for a second. Uh, don't eat this food until I get back until I tell you to eat it." So that 's kind of like the test to see if your you know son or daughter or whatever a dog will actually take the food and um, needless to say, both my kids failed <laughs> i Th- mean
2: if if they'll eat the giraffe food no doesn't yeah, not, that's not yeah
0: Thea failed much quicker than Jackson Jackson thought about it for a second, and then he started looking at the uh toy story gummies, and I think but he got like lost. And like like lost in an imagination, just, tunnel vision. Yeah, trying to make out like the the different characters, and he was like, mm, "Okay, I'm gonna eat Woody now." And so you could uh, really see the struggle on his yeah, face. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, it was hilarious. So so both my kids are bad apparently. Nice. <laughs> I'm
2: gonna sort of piggyback off Lance here, and let me start this off by saying, this opinion is mine and mine alone. This does not represent all the denominators. <laughs> and also, there's no political statement with this. What I'm about to say, but. I've had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows that I've had as a dad for six years. I got one at six and one at two. It's been some of the greatest memories out in the backyard playing with my kids, doing simple things. Meaning during quarantine. Yes, during the quarantine. Mm -hmm. It has been absolutely some of the lowest lows. In the same day, with my oldest especially, (laughs) in the same day, I have played tag and -and hide-and-go-seek in the backyard and had to deal with her taking a picture off the wall and slamming it into the wall and laying in the floor and literally having an (laughs) exorcist-type fit where she's flailing her limbs and just screaming all in the same day. So I say all that to say we're over in our household. I don't think I'm alone in saying that. But every time the TV's on, every commercial break, I am so sick of the word together. Everything is,
4: we're in this together. In these unprecedented times. Unprecedented <laughs> times,
2: we're in this together. Whether they're selling me rice a or a Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> Preach, Kyle. We're all in this together to the point of, I might have had a few select curse words at the TV <laughs> one night when me and Jessica <laughs> were watching it. So, in my opinion, here again, this is my opinion, there has never been a more gross misuse of a word than there is of the <laughs> word together. Yeah. This whole thing has been nothing together. We're not together on any of this. I get the idea that we're struggling to fight this virus together, but nothing about my daily activities for the past three months has been together. It has been me and my wife struggling to keep the sanity of our family because our backyard has continued to shrink and shrink and shrink until my kids, for the first time this weekend, got to go camping. And Ryan can attest to this. It was like they were let out of prison. And the fact that we had to leave and they felt like they were going back into that prison was a disaster. Today's Mm -hmm. been a disaster with Mm -hmm. our oldest. It's back to the backyard, back to the same activities. So could we please stop with the word
1: together? And you make a good point. We forget the impact it has on our kids. Mm -hmm. It seems like their kids, they don't even know what's going on, but it... it Impacts them more than yeah. we probably realize. No,
3: I've definitely, my kids have sensed it too. we got a neighbor, um, you know, he's got two girls, almost the same age. And um, it's different, you know, I'll go up and hook up the water hose. So i got to open the gate of the fence. The kids follow me. I go hook the water hose up, but the neighbor's kids are out and they lock eyes. And, and the kids, they don't understand the social distancing. Or, and, you know, it, this is kind of towards the, the back end of this quarantine and the, the new phases that they've had. But um, you know, so I've been a little more lax on it. But I don't know other people's opinions, you know. So I'm trying to respect them as well. And uh, so, you know, my kids want to go and and hug their kids and play with them, and you, you, they they definitely pick up on that vibe. Yeah,
0: I, I'm <laughs> convinced that we've pretty mo- we've all had coronavirus at one point in time like I've, di- I've self-diagnosed myself about three or four times in the past couple of weeks only to have my <laughs> symptoms like disappear within 24 hours i think the only thing i haven't had is a fever so <laughs> i just feel like everybody's got it and maybe most people are asymptomatic but I, that's kind of how i feel about it now so
1: You're
4: torn achilles
1: on the list of
0: coronavirus <laughs> <laughs> it is now not yet but it might as well be <laughs>
4: But anyways, that was my rant. I'm over it. Let's let's get back to precedented times. <laughs> yes.
2: I've, I've never wanted precedented times more than unprecedented. And that was dad doing this. <laughs> All right. So we, we've we introduced our man, Bryant. He's a friend of the show. We have a few of those, a friend of the shows. Um. He's a listener. He's listened to a lot of our interviews, but we're going to probably do this one a little different. We're just going to kind of chat with our man because he's a he's an
3: interesting cat and got lots of stories. So, Brian, tell us what you do now. Yeah, I work over at Vanderbilt. I work at uh, the section I work in. is called Enterprise Cybersecurity. Um, we, I'm attached to the medical center, so I don't have anything to do with the university. Um, you know, they did split. Yeah, we just do uh, any kind of... I'm, my specific role is a IT risk analyst. So we um, do risk on anything technology or cyber for all the medical center. Um, and it ranges from medical devices that are, you know, even um, there's one, you'll have to look it up, it's called a Da Vinci. it's a surgery robot, and it's the one where the doctor places their face into the machine, and then there's these four robotic arms that operate on the human, on the patient. So it's Uh, my mind's blown right now. I did did not even know that was a thing. Yeah.
2: I got a building permit today. Do you want to hear about that?
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you got to think that thing is attached to the network. Um, And if anything's attached to the network and it directly involves a patient or patient health information, a PHI, then um, we do risk assessments on it. And, you know, it doesn't have to be medical devices. It can be applications on the computer. Um, It can be servers. It can be cloud things, you know, in Microsoft or Google cloud. Um, so just a whole plethora of technology and systems. So basically you're you're
2: the good guy on this end trying to keep the bad guy from yes. jacking with, yes, you know, whatever they're
3: trying to, which still blows my mind, people still want to do you, that kind of. You can kind of see the connection between, you know, jumping from law enforcement to doing this. You know? That's
2: kind of what I was going to ask you. So to kind of jump way back how does what is your chain of events through your life that lead you into what you're doing now so take us back to kind of
3: high your, school yeah
2: here you t- take us back to when you were a toddler how did you potty- <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah take us back to kind of you know you're graduating you're getting ready for a career you're kind of you know take us back to the 17 18 year old brian kind of tell us where you where this all the genesis of where you're at in life now i guess
3: Say plans have changed many times. So yeah, welcome to life, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, uh, thinking back, you know, I was I was a junior in high school, and you know, typical. You had the uh, some of the different armed forces, the different branches coming in, and uh, you know, doing speeches in your classroom, talking <laughs> about joining the Marines. The good so. old ASVAB test. Yes, you had to take doing that, the ASVAB. Yeah. Um, you know, you're getting ready to take your ACT. You know, it's it's just like the ASVAB. Um, so yeah, we had we had a couple guys from uh, different branches come in and talk with us and you know definitely sparked my interest. Played video games, you know, Call of Duty, you know, just, it was just, it's, I don't know, it's kind of a, at least for me, it's kind of a guy thing. It's just you're drawn towards it. Um, so I was trying to figure out a plan. You know, uh, my dad went to LSU and uh, I was like, I definitely, you know, I still want to go to LSU. That was like one of my biggest goals or dreams was to go to school at LSU. And so I was like, how can I incorporate you know, doing the Army and that, you know, and then I talked to the uh, Army career counselor, and they're like, well, you know, you know, we can pay for school, and you can you can do the National Guard, or you can do the Reserves, and you can get paid to go to school and do ROTC, and then come out and opt. So he basically just, you know, explained the line of events for me, and it started making a lot of sense, and I was like, okay, you know, I was trying to, you know, risk, reward, or, you know, pros and cons, weigh my options, and uh, so I ended up... Uh, deciding to join the U- the Army Reserves when I was 17. And so when you join when you're 17, you know, your parents have to do, a I guess, like a side signature. You still sign, but they have to agree to it because you're not officially an adult. So how, just real quick, how's that conversation go with your parents? Are they like, hey,
2: you know, I need you to sign my report card and also this paper. I'm going
3: into the Army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely, if I can recall correctly, um, they came into the office, the recruiting station, and uh, you know, did like a little face to face, and they kinda explained everything to my parents as well, and they explained the different jobs, you know, it's obviously depending on your scores that you get, and um, you know, there's a whole whole bunch of jobs in the Army besides just infantry and combat that, that people think of, and um, you know, I was trying to form a plan for college, and. You know, m- my parents have been very motivational and they never tried to turn me away from my decisions, you know, as long as they're mature or smart decisions. But yeah. but yeah, so they were they were all for it. They were like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, I'm glad that you're, you know, getting a plan, getting your head on your shoulders, you know, still going to go- gonna go to college. Um, and my dad was, you know, I did get accepted to LSU. So my dad was super excited about that and I was too. And so, uh, but yeah, I joined. Even though you're going to the reserves, you, you go through the whole pool of basic training oh, yeah. and all of that. Yeah, I kinda didn't explain that. So yeah, with the reserves, once you sign, um, you know, you're still you're part of the army now, yeah. you're you're their property more or less. <laughs> you get and, the stamp. Uh, yeah, people always say the US army is Uncle Sam ain't released me yet. A R. M. Y. But uh, yeah, so I was drilling. I went to drill you know, with the reserves. It's, you drill once a month. Sometimes it's three-day weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes it's two-day weekends, Saturday, Sunday. And then you'll have like uh, two or three weeks out of the summer where you do annual training. But uh, I was drilling November, December, all the way until May. And then June is when I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Okay. And did a basic training there, graduated. Um, came home for like two weeks until uh, advance. Um, Advance uh, AIT. can't remember what it stands for. Advance something training. What, I can't remember what it is. I'll have to look that up. But anyways, it's called AIT, and uh, that was in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. How difficult was so, basic training? Uh, basic training was it, was, it was difficult to an extent. I was always athletic, played basketball, baseball, football. I kind of wish, looking back at it, I had Focused on one sport, and I might have played in college, but because I was trying to do like a jack of all trades type thing, then um, you know I didn't really hone my skills in one particular area. I mean, it's it's a it's a mindset, you know, and they they mold your mind in basic. They try to you know get you to um,
4: they break you down and then build yeah. you back up yeah. the way they want you.
3: Yeah, they make, yeah. they just make you agree to everything they say, uh-huh. And no matter how stupid it sounds. You just do what they say. And I think the point of that is, you know, when you're in wartime, there's no time for questions. You just have to do exactly what it, you know, mm-hmm. grab that, you grab it, you know, touch that, you touch it, you know, reload, you reload, you know, you just do what they say because there's no, you got to make split second decisions. But basic was harder for other people, you know, that were out of shape and mm-hmm. didn't didn't prepare.
2: So you get you you go through that summer and you're basically prepped and ready. So do you do you start college that fall? How does how does that sort of work?
3: Yeah, so I went to um, graduated in like August from basic, and about one or two weeks later, I went to Fort Leonard Wood, and um, graduated November, late November. I um, started the spring semester at LSU. So January something was when I moved in, got into the dorms, um, got acclimated, and I was my initial plan was to, you know I'm going to do ROTC, but. I partied a little too much the first semester. You know, I was in academic probation. Been never uh, done that. wasn't wasn't F's, you know, <laughs> but I had a lot of D's throughout, and might have withdrawn through a couple classes. But I made a decision, moved back to Chattanooga, and do a community college um, for a little while.
1: Yeah, I gotta know since you're an LSU guy, Les Miles or Ed Ogeron? Oh, Coach O, man. This was Got just the natty with th- Coach mm-hmm. O. I, I mean, Les was great.
3: Um, he left us. So did Nick. You know, Nick left us and that was a big stab. But um, this year was a a movie year. I mean, like I I went to the national championship in New Orleans. I wasn't in the stadium. Tickets were, um, you know, absurdly priced but um, let's be honest the party was probably better mm-hmm. outside the it was great i was i was on bourbon street in a bar watching the game with, with my pictures. family
2: i think i've seen pictures of you down there <laughs> it looked like a good time i <laughs> made the papers yeah some guy came
3: by i was like hey let me shoot a picture and i was like okay you know you look drunk enough <laughs> 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 but no it was great yeah it was just like i call it a movie year it was just i mean I don't know, they could they may make a movie yeah. out of it it's yeah. cra- it was crazy
1: Sorry, Kyle, I interrupted No, it's no, more
3: no. serious I'm, line of questioning.
2: I'm just trying. I'm thinking now. I'm like, who's, and the, m- who's the more outrageous entertaining? I mean, Les Miles did some crazy stuff. But, but Cocho's boy, Yeah. When he, <laughs> <laughs> go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Right. Okay. Yeah. He fits the area down there for sure. No, I was just going to kind of jump ahead. So, you, do you go on all the way through college and then graduate and then kind of what's your army stint oh, yeah. after that?
3: So, how's that work? Yeah. So, um,. You know, I had a six-year contract. It's it's called a six-by-two. So it's like six years of, you know, the active service, not active duty, but um, active ready reserve. And then I had um, uh, two years where I had to go into the inactive ready reserve, the IRR. And that's basically where for the last two years, you're not drilling, but they can call you up at any point. I ended up meeting my my wife, my current wife, my only wife. (laughs) Adam, could you you edit the current out? (laughs) Currently, my wife. (laughs) Still looking for a (laughs) future (laughs) wife. But uh, anyway, so we were dating. um, uh, Met her and decided to move up here. And I was like, well, I can – you know, she was living up here in Gallatin. I was like, I can go to school and get a job and do everything I was doing in Chattanooga up here. And so I decided to start going to Ball State. Went there for six months.
1: But, yeah. So is is this – at some point, are we getting near in the phase where you decided to uh, jump into being a prison guard? Because if so – i got a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) How does
3: one make the jump? (laughs) So the way that this one happened was my first job moving here was uh, laying hardwood floors with a family friend, and it was in Nashville. So, yeah, I needed something that paid more and that had more steady hours, so I ended up going to Bass Pro Shop over there, Opry Mills. We would get a lot of police officers you know it just kind of appealed to me and i got to talking with them and it seemed like a good transition from military to kind of somewhat law enforcement i was like how do you even become a cop you know do you there like a college degree you have to get that's you know police degree or something or do you have to go to some i know you got to go to police academy but like how do you get into that so I started researching, I started applying to places, started applying at um, prisons and jails. Didn't really know the difference, but you know, there is a difference. So yeah, I got accepted at different places and ended up making the decision to go over here to um, Sumner County Jail and work for a year. Paid decent, it was getting my foot in the door and I knew I had a plan to leave it eventually and end up on the road somehow because I knew it was kind of a stepping stone to you know being a sworn officer.
0: I just want to clarify one thing. So, you'd rather be in jail
3: than a prison, right? Well, here's stepping stones. Here's here's the caveat on that. With jail, you get all of the above because you're getting guys that are uh, waiting to go to prison as well. Um you know, we had certain floors of the of the jail that were misdemeanors, you know, maybe a few felonies depending on the charge. But then the top couple floors were all felonies. You know, a lot of the state prisons are overcrowded, so they have to wait for a bed. And so, uh, yeah, there was guys up there that's, you know, serious as you can get, murder, rape, kidnapping, anything. And uh, they're just kind of waiting. You could look up on the computer and see how many days somebody had been there. The longest person that had stayed there, and he was still there, waiting on a bed. It was about seven to 800 days in jail, in jail. You know, most people think of jail less than a year, 1129. So
1: I've always imagined, since I knew you were going to be on the podcast, for, you know, a couple of days, uh, <laughs> that uh, myself as a prison guard, and I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would be incredibly nervous the first time I was dealing with inmates. Yeah. Definitely. so, where are you? Oh yeah. Tell us a little about it.
3: Yeah. I mean, okay. So when I started, <laughs> let's see. I that that wasn't that Lance much. Lance really a liked my question. <laughs>
1: I think I was. Uh, i was just imagining
0: you. You know, twirling the baton. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Clanging the football <phone laughs> <bowl laughs> against the... Hey, I've got a belly club at yeah, home. Yeah, I'm down in there. <laughs>
3: down in there. <laughs> I think
2: I was 20. Oh, God. I I was I was 20. Wait a minute. Let, now, take your 20-year-old self in there and think about that. Well,
1: yeah. when you're 20, you're an idiot. You think you can do anything. You know? At least True. I did. So yeah. I would probably be more scared now than I was yeah. then. Yeah, definitely. I'd have
3: to Too agree. Point. Yeah, I was nervous, you know. I definitely wasn't... I would say I was like you know smaller than I am now not that I'm a big guy or anything but you know I was a kid and besides the military it was definitely my first full smack in the face with life and like what people go through and numerous walks of life just learning how to talk to people that was a do, big Did somebody one.
2: that shows you the ropes and it was like hey don't get near that guy he'll bite <laughs> your finger off or is yeah. there
3: anybody like that? I mean, are you talking about an inmate or officer that shows Officer. You the ropes? Is there an officer that kind of shows you the ropes? Yeah, so. yeah. You've got, you know, some veteran, veteran correction officers or COs, and uh, they kind of, you know, they walk you through everything. We had a – so the training for at least for um, the jail was one week. We had one week of training, and it was in a classroom. And, you know, yeah, we got pepper spray, and, you know, it sucked. And um, they just talked about, you know, gangs and tattoos and – drugs and you know what kind of what drug what certain drugs look like and just all kinds of you know like some normal law enforcement stuff but um does it prepare you enough i don't think so you just kind of get thrown into the fire <laughs> I know. and kind of figure so, it out yeah
1: so this is one of a zillion questions i've got how do drugs get into, into jail did you did y'all confiscate drugs i assume you did yeah. And yeah. how on the word do they get in there have you Man. even seen birthday cakes? <laughs> literally, literally,
3: I would say I would say just any way you can think of, um, it, whether it be new inmates that um, just don't get searched properly, um, or or some an officer. Somebody that, slacked on a cavity check. Yeah, the old glove pop. Uh, you know, just yeah, an officer that was being uh, complacent just didn't search well. Um, we had they have a thing in the jail which. It's kind of, I'm kind of hybrid on my agreement with it, but it's called a commissary, and that's where they uh, get food and drinks and snacks, you know, donuts, ramen noodles, AMFM radios, Correct. things like okay. that. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah, like I was saying, the commissary people are third-party vendors, and, um, you know, I don't really know if they go through a background check. I'd hope so, but they come in there, and I don't think they get searched, you know. They should, probably should, um, but, yeah, they could easily bring something in. And then, like you hear about on the news all the time, crooked, uh... Corrections officers, you know, it's always power, money, or greed, or something. So it, that greed right there, they want to make more money than they're making. So they bring in stuff, and they get paid on the outside by somebody. So
0: probably a dumb question, but are you allowed to carry? I, I could see the,
3: the 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 pros and cons of each. So do they allow you to carry while you're on duty? I carry a pistol? Yeah, uh, absolutely not. not. Not not well, not in the jail. Uh-huh. Outside of the jail, outside transport of officers, they'll carry. Uh, they have a gun locker, and you go sign out one like a book and uh, you sign out the gun and if you have to do a transport to a hospital or to another facility then you normally go in pairs but yeah otherwise when you're in there it's handcuffs and pepper spray and right and left. Good old fisticuffs. Yeah. No it, billy thunder hopes. and lightning.
0: And that's because they're they obviously don't want the inmate to get a right. hold of it. Absolutely right. yeah.
2: So, did you ever have any one of those situations where you see on TV where it's a full out somebody didn't shut the <laughs> gates and
3: we've got to wrestle everybody back in yeah I mean I wouldn't say luckily we didn't have any full out riots but um, they definitely the inmates definitely get a wolf pack mentality that's what at least I call it because there's a lot of good guys in there, and there's also a lot of bad guys. Honestly, the good ones are influenced. Obviously, they've had an influence in their life to end up in jail too, so they're easily influenced when in there, and so they get that wolf pack mentality. You know, if we had somebody that was causing trouble, it was normally better to bring them outside of the pod and have a one-on-one, you know, man-to-man conversation with them. Respect. You know, you show them respect, and you get respect. But. um, but yeah, if if you're trying to argue with them in front of four or five others, then it's just not gonna fly. Skulls, yeah, yeah. there's it's like kids in a classroom, they're just over you know, cussing you, yelling at you, over talking you, just you know.
1: What what's the uh, biggest mistake you made in that position? Uh <sighs> Taking it, taking it,
4: nah,
0: <laughs> nah,
3: nah. I don't regret working there. It was, a, it was definitely that stepping stone that I needed. Ask me that question for police, and I've got a few answers for you. Know? I Do you, think, really you think, think you come out more as a man from being a prison guard or being six years in the army? Which one grew you up quicker? You got me on a good question now. Yeah, I would, I every would now and then. St- I, stumped them twice. Yeah, yeah, every now and then. I really. <laughs> so, that yeah, one. yeah. So well, this is where we, we turn s- up the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Answer <laughs> the question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Is it going to rain tomorrow? I think I think I'd have to say 50/50. Um it kind of depends on you know where you kinda, either one, you know, if you've never had a job that's government um before working in the military or working in a um jail, corrections, then they both grow you up. I think they grow they grew me up in different ways, I think with the uh the military it was more about respect and authority and following following rules um doing you know just like doing what you're told and like mission oriented getting the mission done and and also how to think quickly like make quick decisions um and then with the jail the biggest thing that i got from the jail was just learning how to talk to people because with the army you don't have to talk to i mean you can talk you talk to people that you know but now you got people that are kind of against you to, in a, to in a sense, yeah. you know, so, but yeah, you have to, they're all from different walks of life. You know, some, some of them have mental issues, some of them don't, and you have to learn how to, um, I don't know, just have a way with words and talking, you know, your words are your biggest friend. So if you can choose the right words, then that can really avoid a lot of conflict.
2: Dealing with different personalities probably how to handle situations differently. Yeah. How did you progress out of that job? Did you just come in one day and like, man, I've had enough of this? Or it, wh- how, how do you end up going from – or was it always kind of your plan? Did you have a certain amount of time you were going to be in there? Like, I've got to get out of here to move yeah. on to being a police officer. How how was kind of the end of that
3: part of your career? I definitely had those thoughts that you're saying, and like as far as i got to get out of here. Um, but they were – that was from the, from the start where I wanted to uh, – I knew I wasn't going to, like, retire there. So, um, anyways, I uh, –
2: could, could not to interject, but I can imagine in that job that although you're you're going in and out to work, it almost feels like you might get sucked into that world a little bit. Because when you're working, you're in the jail, so yeah. it's kind of like you're in Serving almost
3: yeah in that environment. Is it is that yeah. true? I mean, I I would have to say I don't I, you know I don't know all those men and women that were that uh, are inmates in that jail, and I don't know where their morals are. But for me. You know, my my personal morals and my faith um, are strong, you know, and so I try to, uh, you know, although people hear, you know, you hear those, you know, voices where you're like, you know, make this choice or do this, you know, and you have to fight against that. You know, no, I'm gonna do the right thing. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I always adhere to my morals to where I, I knew I was never gonna get sucked down in that world and um, I had a different plan. You know, I think that was the biggest thing. I just had goals, I had a plan i had a vision so that kept me on the right path from you know trying to do anything
1: to to mess all that up yeah well i'll save my questions about blice baths and uh shanks for later (laughs) unless unless y'all really wanted me to ask this i got i think i got an answer to your one earlier about
3: um, a dumb mistake that i made luckily it it uh, paid off better than you know it could have gone but um so yeah we had a time where um the inmates they like to make uh, what they're called water bags and so i forgot what the weight of a gallon of water is but like they know i think right it, at eight pounds yeah, yeah seven eight pounds something like that so they know that and that they'll do the math and they'll fill up a uh, trash bag with a certain amount of gallons of water to get a certain weight and then they'll tie it to a broom handle or a mop both ends and now they have a bench or curls or that's how they work out and uh they they're not allowed to it's considered contraband um, So yeah, you know, there's one time where I was doing like a check or just you know going to each window and looking at them, seeing what they're doing. And so I gotta stop
1: you again. Contraband. <laughs> Somehow a a broomstick and two trash bags have been <laughs> snuck into a cell. <laughs> how does this happen? Well, they get cleaning supplies. My, my, you've answered nothing. My mind is still blown on how <laughs> this happens. So yeah, they get they get cleaning supplies.
3: They're, they're allowed to have trash bags. They're they're thin trash bags. So. um You know, if somebody was to put it over your head and try Uh to, you know, kill you, you can just Could you you imagine the guy
2: that has to bring (laughs) the mop handle in in his butt? Yeah, Yeah, we have
3: mop handles. We try to use, um, like, the the plastic or metal ones instead of the wood ones that can easily be broken for, like, a weapon. But, but yeah, they're allowed. They're not really – they're allowed to bring the supplies in their cell, but they're not allowed to, like, hoard them or they have to share them, and they can't just keep them there the whole time. So, obviously, they, they had these things, and they had, you know, accumulated some extra trash bags. And uh, so I'm doing a check, looking in the windows. Um, you know, they're not allowed. I mean, they do go in each other's cells, but they're not allowed to have five, six, seven deep in the cells. And um, I look in the window, and there's like six guys in there, and it's a tight, small cell. But they're all in there, and, the, and I'm like, what are they doing? So I call the door number, you know, on the radio. It's got a little number on the door. I call it the uh, tower pops the door it's a magnetic lock pops it open and i'm like what's going on and they're all they're like oh we got caught you know and they're all working out they've got these water bags and they're like come on ceo get in here hit you some hit you some reps and i'm like no we can't do this y'all know y'all aren't supposed to have that come on let's go pour it out in the pour the shower pour the water out in the shower or pour it down the drain and I'm like no come on get in and hit some reps and i was like okay I'll get it. <laughs> what the heck <laughs> I, out I right really out. want to see if I can do it and they had they, I think they had it at what they told me I don't know if it's right it's just their their math but they said it was up to like 115 or 120 so they had some weight on their big water bags and so I got in there there's six guys in there I mean they could have closed the door behind me and just started wailing on me or murdered uh, me yeah. but I guess I don't know I guess I had enough um, trust in these guys that I didn't know <laughs> I just went in there, and I hit it like twice, you know, two or three times. And, and uh, they are like, oh, okay, okay. And uh, I was like, all right, guys, all right, let's get rid of the water bags now. But in all honesty, it never bothered me too much with the water bags. It is a rule, and that's kind of that um, that gray area, you know. It's like they're not fighting. They're not using drugs. They're not hurting each other. They're working out. They're blowing steam off. they got testosterone built up. So it's, it's, that, it's that mixture. You can pick and choose your battles. Some battles are like a hard line, but some of them are like, you know, okay, you know, y'all are just working out. Sounds a lot like parenting. <laughs> yeah. I prepared you early.
1: Yeah. So I guess the, the next, obviously, you're, you moved from there to being a policeman. Right. So just kind of walking through that. I've got more uh, juvenile questions about police academy as well. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, so uh, I was doing school at the same time. While I was uh, a corrections officer, and it was online, um, and I was applying heavily at different agencies, and uh, you know they're asking the questions: Do you have a bachelor's and stuff? Which is not needed, but it helps. And uh, they're you know asking about your law enforcement experience, and so I did have the corrections to you know say that I'm I'm familiar with the the field. I remember my dad telling me growing up: Like if you want something, you just you just chase after, and you don't let somebody give you a no. You just keep going, you know, and uh, until they give you a yes, and and you can get you get your way a lot. So I was like, okay, that you know, that's kind of like something I live by to a certain extent, you know, depending on the situation. But with this, I was like weighing out the agencies and the pros and cons of working at different cities. And uh, Metro paid a lot, big agency, lots of opportunity to grow and move around. And uh, and they also uh, you know they paid for your police academy. Some some agencies they can um, nominate you to go, or you can pay it out of your own pocket. And that was definitely not an option that I was looking at. So I, I applied at Metro, and I went on their website, and I found a list of background um, investigators, the detectives. There was like a list of like six or seven detectives that do background investigations, and I was like, any, meeny, money, mo, picked one literally, and then uh, emailed him. I was like, hey you know, I'm so-and-so, I applied a couple months ago, just haven't heard anything, just wondering where my application stands. And uh, I think he called me like, um, the next day or emailed me and was like, Hey, uh, can you come in for an interview? I got your file, pulled up. Can you come in this week? I was like, yes. So that's what I'm talking about. Where it's just taking the initiative and trying to, so, uh, luckily that happened. Um, you know, I would say definitely a godsend. Um, I'd prayed about it for sure. And, um, did the background investigation and, you know, did the uh, polygraph. That was, like, nerve-wracking just because, I don't know, just the stereotype around polygraphs. And, um, you know, not that I have anything to hide, but it's just like you're you come out feeling like you do have something yeah, exactly. to hide. Yeah, exactly. Like, man, you, you, I failed that miserably. Uh, yeah, and you're just like, how far back are we going? Like, I'm sorry I punched my brother when I was three, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, you know, passed everything. And then uh, so I started working property and evidence. Where all the drugs and the cash and the guns, which was super cool, because uh, I got exposed to that early on. I had all the, they have sworn officers that work in there too, and so they were all, you know, ecstatic to show me like, hey, look at this, look, this is a Tommy gun from the 1930s, you know, a real one confiscated in Nashville back then. I was like, whoa, this is. They have like a Barrett 50 cal that some guy had mounted on the top roof of a car, you know. <laughs> And I was like, "This is I awesome. was wondering what happened to that." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where Mr. Adams, <laughs> but, uh, ripped it right off my Camry. <laughs> and uh, absolutely, they have a you know a drug vault, a giant vault of drugs. Any drug you can think of, like floor to ceiling, like you would have shelves in your garage. And uh, that was super cool. I mean, we even uh, the sergeant over there. They have like a they release evidence after so many years. The judges will do a sign off, and like maybe a case has expired after so so many. Uh, you know years or time or maybe a person maybe a um a defendant has died so the case is irrelevant now um so they'll you know it's time to get rid of that evidence so anyways they'll have the judge will do a big sign off on on property that meets that criteria and they take this giant um they we went and rented a penske truck and they filled it with drugs <laughs> Yeah.
1: We we like to get like, the, get it back on the market. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the end of the story. It's been it's been <laughs> aged too, yeah, yeah. so this is refined. Nah, yeah,
3: most of it is like really Stimulus. rotten. <laughs> But yeah, so they fill it in these duffel bags and dump f- f- in the river. They fill the Penske truck like just as max capacity. And they had Metro SWAT escort um, us, and we rode with them. And they drive like all these unmarked vehicles, trucks, F 150, all kinds of stuff. But uh, we drove it to like some place in Alabama, some um, garbage site, you know, a dump site. And they had this incinerary there. And, and you can smell it
2: and if oh, wow. you stand around that's the best contact
0: I you'll ever Man, get if i'm a
3: crackhead that's where i'm going to try to <laughs> yeah, get, get, get some of that down, stuff get down down yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh but yeah i did pre-hire learned a lot and then um started the academy in july and uh tw- i've got to weeks. go back to
1: that Evans room if y'all ever just found yourself thinking like there's no bigger temptation for like some police officers you got yeah. a thing to like oh yeah sneak a little of that cash that they found yeah, oh, or, yeah. Or the gun or there's whatever the range. guns would be it for me like where'd you get all these guns don't worry about it yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm there's thinking like they might miss a gun but you know, a 20 would they you know there's <laughs> right. got to be that going This'll on blow all your mind. Places. so they do uh,
3: some sort of policy or, or program they have set up but where you're allowed to, um, certain, certain uh, pistols and handguns that have been used in crimes or that have been seized and confiscated, they'll let you check it out and that can be your backup gun for the duration of your time. Yeah. You have to sign some paperwork obviously and then you have to qualify with that particular weapon, but that backup gun. So now it's kind of it's kind of cool that, you know, robbery guy's gun is now working for the other side of the line. Don't of, they you know. don't
0: they still auction off some of that stuff too? Don't they have like police auctions and
3: all yeah, that? Yeah, there's a website, like a public website. Um I can't remember the name of it right now, but Metro's got one where they auction off TVs, couches, <laughs> seized property, just anything. So so back to police academy compare the police academy to to basic
2: training what what's the similarities what's your differences there how does that how does that compare i guess
3: yeah basics uh a lot more screaming and yelling i mean they're screaming and yelling in the police academy um but a lot more screaming and yelling in basic i guess they're trying to get that you know get you ready for war and um lots more pt like physical a lot more running a lot more exercising you know muscle failure push-ups sit-ups in this, in uh, in basic and uh, and then with the police academy, we ran a lot and and did a lot of physical things, but we had a lot of classroom time. Yeah, like in the classroom, at some point you you're hitting the classroom every day, and it's a, a plethora of topics. You know, from not just law, um, that is a huge part of it, but um you know about um, verbal community. They call it verbal judo. How to talk to people. Um, you know handcuffing techniques proper handcuffing you know you do have some combatives a little bit of jujitsu slash krav maga or whatever you know mixed up um all kinds of things classes you know uh, um, (coughs) profiling classes you know how you know why you shouldn't you know how profiling is involved in policing but how where's the line you know people have these questions like when are you know police profiling is is necessary but you don't want to, you know, racially profile or you know, I don't know. When that, we have classes to kind of like walk your mind through that about you know, when you're reaching that point where it's wrong and then where's
1: that point of where you're using it to protect and serve mm-hmm. you know right so i guess I'll, I'll take this more serious but i mean in any profession this is my my stance I don't speak for the denominators <laughs> here but i mean any profession if you, it's a doctor you got good doctors and ones that are terrible yeah. I mean, you think they're good because they got a doctor behind their name no nope. gas station attendant whatever it is there's people that are trustworthy and good and i think about in my life i mean in my adult life how the perception of police has changed from maybe a few bad apples at times that have done things that have kind of stained police in general so i mean i guess from your perspective did you sense that i mean how impacted were you by that and maybe a second question would be what did you guys kind of do to counteract that yeah
3: um we they talk about that a ton at metro um public relations is huge with them and uh I would say that's definitely a pro of Metro, at least in my opinion, um, that I'd like to say, predominantly, um, you can put a number on it, 90%, 95%, however you want to say it. We do things right, you know. Um, there's a lot of good guys there. Um, just like any agency, um, you know, it's not just Metro, but there's there's a lot of good ag- good people um, that work for agencies. So, um, yeah, you could kind of sense um the climate change of policing, and but I would say overwhelmingly, I got more thank yous, and you know we appreciate you, than cursing and dogging on me and filming me, and you know yeah, of course that happened, but it, it was far overpowered by the the thank yous.
2: And unfortunately, I always you know, it, it's a lot like a lot of things in the media, and that's a whole other podcast, and we're not much of a political podcast, but. For every one bad story you see, and you know there's one probably going on right now about a police officer that uh, unfortunately gets all the attention. Yeah. Yes, sometimes it should. There's there's no doubt at times it's justified. But you think about around the country. Just think about in Metro today. You know, 20 miles down the road from us, how many thousands of police interactions there are today with the public yeah. that. From helping somebody to questioning somebody to pulling somebody over to whatever. How how many of those go well? you got to think the percentages, like you said, 95, 96, 97. Well, it, it's a high percentage of just guys and ladies doing their job every day, helping people, doing what they swore an oath to do. So a lot of times I think, unfortunately, the police world gets a black eye, but... In reality, the percentages are so low of those mm-hmm. few bad people that they that, that kind of spoil the whole barrel. I guess it's like,
3: it's like a restaurant or drive-through or, or Cracker Barrel. You know, you go Cracker Barrel a hundred times and get great service and great yep. food, but you'll have bad service maybe one time. But you can't just blame all Cracker Barrel, yeah. and you're not going to say I'm never going I'm never back to going Cracker Barrel. Bar- Bar- yeah, yeah, you know. So
1: maybe give us a uh, Bryant Cops episode here. Take us through some of your best interactions. Uh, Whatever that means, I'll let you take it where you think that should go. Crazy (laughs) stories. So as some background,
3: you you were third shift, correct? Yeah, most of my career. When I was cut loose, and I can explain that. When I was cut loose, it was night shift, and I was night shift. It worked best um, the whole time. So, yeah, you do graduate the academy. I graduated December of 2015. And um, then you ride with an FTO, a field training officer, for six months. five months and um and they alternate you switch between you don't just ride with one guy you you kind of flip-flop shifts and flip-flop FTOs but normally your last place that you have an FTO at is where you get cut loose and that's where you're on your own so yeah I was cut loose north midnights, and it's like 11 to 7 basically
0: when all the fun stuff happens yeah in north North,
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, Bordeaux and the project It'd be or, a helmet when you got <laughs> right here anyways as far as stories i went actually last night i cracked open my file folder and read through a whole bunch of old affidavits that's just you know where you swear out a warrant for somebody's arrest do you kind of remember your first <laughs> oh crap moment after you got cut loose is there kind of one that really sticks <sighs> out to not not a oh crap moment i definitely when you're cut loose you're You're texting a lot, like uh, you know, texting a more senior officer. You're like, "Hey, uh, here's the situation. What do you think?" Mm -hmm. And then they give you their opinion. You know, well, here's here's what policy says, because you got to interpret a lot of things going on. You got to number one, you're just human. Human uh, morality and and ethics. That I would say that's above all. And then number two, the law, the state law. And then on top of that is Metro's policy. So you got a lot of things that you're thinking about on a call and what what applies to this call, what doesn't apply. And you got your human instinct in there, like, is this guy doing something? Yeah, you have human instinct. Why is he standing out there with a bazooka? Is that like something? So I I didn't really have – I mean, I I might have. It's just been a while. Um, So – I don't really recall one where it was like, I don't know what to do moment. Um, kind of, I guess I kind of had an idea of what to do always, but I still had questions and that was the best thing is just to ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, ask the person, do you want me to arrest you or not? And there's always no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I can see why you passed the polygraph test. You're very laid back yeah. and individual. So anyways, uh, so this story is we got dispatched to the domestic, this apartment and, um, You know, it's got—it's always got some call text on your screen. Kind of gives you like four or five sentences of barely what's going on, so you kind of you know prepare yourself and you're reading it as you're driving. But anyway, so we get to the scene. It's a second floor apartment, and we go up there and we knock on the door, and we can hear some screaming and yelling. And all of a sudden, door opens, females pushed out, and then door shuts, locks. And she's there and she's screaming and crying, and she's uh, got some visible marks on her face. And we're like, hey, you know, what's going on? She's telling us, you know, they got in an argument. It obviously got physical because she has marks. And so we're like, okay. Um, And we're knocking, trying to make contact with the male and ask him his side of the story. He's not answering the door. And at this point, we've got a a victim, supposedly, because we don't have the other side of the story, but we've got a victim with visible injuries. And the law in Tennessee is if you you have uh, those criteria, you know, physical injury, it's a shall arrest for domestic violence. They take it, you know, real serious in Tennessee. Um, So we have enough probable cause that a domestic assault has happened based off her injuries and what she's telling us, her story. And also other things go into factor as far as we look up the address if they've ever had prior history of domestic violence. So that's another thing that we look at. We're beating on the door yelling he's not answering he, he talked to us a few times it's basically just yapping back and forth but he's not really gonna open the door we get the maintenance guy luckily he gets the master key we form like a little stack we got officers up front with long guns either a shotgun or a rifle we got officers you know middle maybe with like a handgun so I got the taser because you want to have both options mm-hmm. available if, quickly if you have to go lethal or less lethal mm-hmm. so we open the door we go in there tiny apartment start working towards the back. And the guy's sitting in a Lazy Boy recliner, both hands clearly visible, no weapons in his hands, you know, on the armrest. And the two kids, his two kids, real young, right there and they're watching TV. And uh, we quickly, you know, some of the guys holster up. I grab one arm and another officer grabs another arm. And the guy stands up and he's like, man, don't be doing this in front of my kids. Don't be doing this in front of my kids. And he's actively resisting. He's not punching at us, but he's like jerking like, mm-hmm. a, like a bull. And so I just hook his arm that I have, I'm on his right side, I pop open my O. C. spray and my, my belt right here. I wear it on the front. And I just reach around and I spray him in the face and I got him straight in the eyes. But the backsplash phew, sprayed off the right and left, got me in the eyes, like mainly in the left eye, and got the other got the other officer in the right eye, you know? So between you y'all got two good ass. So and uh and on top of that, you are supposed to yell, um, clear, you know, before you're about to spray. But it was heat of the moment, it just slipped my mind. I didn't say clear. It kind of lets officers know back up, I'm about to spray this guy. But we were already, you know, actively you know, engaged with him. And so, yeah, I sprayed him. As soon as I sprayed him, he's limp, you know, like Gumby, just flip-flopping around. And did they, you get a talking
2: uh, to from your partner after that oh, like, hey, oh yeah oh you, you yeah
3: can, he can never let you live that <laughs> down. yeah I he mean, never lets me live it down but it's all in good fun and we're still good buddies and um uh, he's a detective now too so that was your barney fife moment mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny hey it, it, we definitely you know did what we were
1: supposed to do and nobody got hurt you know so which denominator do you think would best uh, take a taste oh god mm. i do mm. not want to get tased <laughs> i'll tell you this i will
3: take a taser any day over spray really because uh, they call it riding the lightning for the taser Uh, it's only five seconds and yeah it's powerful and it locks you up but it's quick the spray is like immense immense pain fire heat it just burns and it's in your eyes and it lasts hours on hours and even after you've got it out it can reactivate Uh. the little beads you know they can pop if they're on your skin and if you're uh, showering or something, it can get anywhere on your body. It can burn. So
2: yeah, tase me, bro. I don't want to be part of the paper yeah. The spray,
3: spray
0: it, it hurts. Do the, you lose control of your bowels if you get tased too? Does <laughs> that ever happen? I, it didn't. It didn't happen in our class, but I would
3: not doubt that that's possible. I think I've actually seen some YouTube videos of that. But um, that man oh that yeah, your question was about um, uh, you said who would well, get tased. I mean based on what
1: you know about us who who could take the tase the best.
3: <laughs> uh i don't know if i could everybody reacts differently so i don't think face value is a way to assess <laughs> who's going to take it better so, so we're just going to have to get PC tased and see, and see. Yeah. So <laughs> what it sounds like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. line up, boys line up. <laughs> stay tuned so yeah my last place i worked was central precinct uh, downtown it's definitely more than people make it out to be because they always say it's just you know you're on broadway and it's just partiers and drunks they're once you get outside of Broadway, there's just a lot more going on. And it encompasses, because it's actually the center of the city, so it gets everybody from every precinct. They all drive through Central to get to other places. So you can get, you can get anything there. And they've got uh, the Mission, the homeless shelter. And, um, you know, there was a guy working there by the name of John Anderson. And uh, I'd met him plenty of times um, between 2015 and 2019 when I left talk to them you know when we when you kind of see other officers that you don't normally see when y'all make arrests and y'all happen to be at booking at the same time you're like hey man you know old friend how's it going man you know I don't you don't get to see each other much and you you rarely see like the uh, officers on the day shift maybe when they're coming on work but um, because you know your whole lives are literally opposite from people that are on day shift Um, you definitely see the evening shift guys because they kind of prep you for what's about to happen in your shift but uh yeah John's a good guy you know he's got red hair and a red mustache and but just on my encounters with him and my short conversations with him um you know great guy and uh last time I talked to him was um about two days before he passed and uh they had this badge from 2019 and it was a like a commemoratory badge, or, um, and it was the new headquarters. But I remember seeing John, and it was on like a some shooting scene, um, you know, it was on the crime scene, we're chit chatting, and, um, he was like, he was very adamant about joining the motors team, you know, with the motorcycles, there's motors. We were talking about that, and I saw his badge, he was wearing that commemoratory badge and um i was like hey you're wearing that he's like yeah he's like i just wanted to wear it uh one night and then put it away that way i could say it's actually been worn he's like yeah when i retire from metro he's like uh he's like i'm gonna keep my my cat badge my regular badge and keep my, my motors jacket i'll just tell him that i lost it you know and i was like oh you know just laughing about that but uh so yeah fast forward two nights it's uh july 4th you know we started a Obviously working night shift, it was July 3rd and it rolled over in July 4th. But me and my buddy, we uh, was on a flex team. We rode um, partners, so we were two, two men in a car. We heard on the radio that there was a crash. And then uh, we heard that it was a Metro police car involved. And so immediate, lights and sirens, like we're booking it and we're heading there. And we got over to the Woodland Street Bridge. We hear over the radio uh, an officer that we know that was on patrol. And uh, the patrol officer that made it on scene, he said, everybody stop, nobody come here. You know, nobody keep coming. He's like, set up a perimeter, block down every single street and road that leads to this area. And we're like, what is going on? And, uh, and also on the radio dispatch had mentioned that the car um, had caught fire, some of it had caught fire. And so we're like, okay. And, you know, I've dealt with police car fires before and the cars are, a lot of them are junk and they overheat. They've been in commission for years. So, you know, I'm thinking maybe engine caught on fire in a small fire, or sometimes internally, all the computer and the microphone and everything, wires, you know, something can light up in there, a little small fire, but enough to put out with an extinguisher. But, uh, so we blocked the Woodland Street Bridge. We had officers from all different, um, you know, jurisdictions within Metro, different precincts, coming and, um, Helping us set up the perimeter, and it wasn't even—it wasn't even four or five minutes later. They said every central precinct officer, um, leave your post and meet at the Shoney's parking lot. We're like, what is going on? So we meet at the Shoney's parking lot, and there was a group of guys already there, some of the sergeants and supervisors, and uh, I can see John's car. Um, he had wrecked into a pole. Or at least that's my initial thoughts. I don't know how it happened if he just crashed into it, or if he spun and smacked it, or what. And I and there was no other car there, it was just his car. And uh, you know, there was smoke and a little bit of flame still, but I couldn't obviously couldn't see John. Didn't think anything about death and you know, being involved. Um and anyway, so, you know, this is this is quick. This is all happening super quick. There was not hours and hours or anything. It was five minutes after we had tried to block that street. And so we go over to the parking lot, and they got this little powwow set up. There was a supervisor, and at first things he said when I got into the circle, he said, you know, guys, I know this is a tough time for everybody. He's like, we all need to stick together, you know. Just we all need to stick, you know. And he's t- saying all these things, which – yes kind of implied to me something death or something but that's like the first thing he said to at least us i guess he had had some initial words and maybe he thought everybody was there you know i try to give him the benefit of the doubt and i i interjected and i was like hey sarge you know i don't know what's going on but like can you explain like what happened like which officer was it we didn't know i even didn't know it was john's car i didn't know which officer it was you know because we're trying to look up yeah they have numbers but i didn't see a number um and i was like well, who who's the officer and they're like it's john and I was like, John Anderson? They're like, yeah. And I was like, what happened? And they said, he's dead. And I was like, what? And it's just just a shock, man. Just like, no no crying, Not at least not for me, but it, it, you're so shocked, you know, there's no room for crying or emotion or something like that. You're just like processing it. And I was like, wow. And just how did they figure this out that he was dead so quickly? And, and um, you know, you can imagine that obviously, it was just quick and instant um you know i don't have to go into detail about his body but that was it for the night for us um you know they told we all met at east precinct police station took our gear off they said hey take all your gear off you know it's cool just relax and uh and then you know my initial thoughts were i just want to go home and hug my family and my kids that was that was my feeling i don't want to like, they were trying to hold on to us to make us, like, if you, if, hey, we're bringing the counselors. It's optional if you want to talk to them. It's pass is what they call it. It's optional. But a lot of people are just like, man, I just want to hug my kids and my family because that could have been me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's so short. It's unexpected. Just a great guy. Like, line of duty deaths are just, it's it's a whole you know ball game i've experienced another one too there was two officers that died within just my time of working there the other one was officer moomaw but uh but yeah so they ended up just telling us like hey however y'all want to handle it if y'all want to go home you're more than welcome to go home i went home and uh they didn't let us work the next couple days two or three days but but yeah that's
2: kind of that's always (laughs) you see that it's like it's a different brotherhood, I guess, when something like that happens. And like, I guess, going forward from there, it probably changed you as a person. And probably it's, you know, I can imagine that kind of sort of changed your
3: whole outlook on not only your line of work but life. Sounds yeah. like life in general. Yeah, he had a he was a father too. He had a he had a kid and real young, I'm not sure of the age, two or three or something, so just knowing that that kid's not going to have his father around, it's not going to know where he went until he understands the full effect of it when he's older, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, that was a big, that was definitely a deciding factor into where I'm at now, I was already planning an exit because I wanted a progression and a challenge to continue, but, um,
2: but yeah, that was part of it, and uh, kind of being the dad at that point, I guess, kind of leads yeah. to the big, big thing is you got out of police work, and it kind of sounds like that might have been a real accelerating factor yeah. for that.
3: And you can people can interpret it how they want. You know, I got scared or whatever, and it wasn't fear. You know, there's plenty of life or death situations that I've been in. Um, but yeah, with my kids being born now, it was that was in the back of my mind, like, you know there's there's heroes people on the street that that continue to do it every day especially with young ones I mean they're heroes you know I'm not going to sit here and call myself a hero you know John was a hero for sure I think people that actually paid the ultimate sacrifice or it's the most hero thing that you can do but um so yeah there's you know and that's I'll, I'll pinpoint that again that definitely was not the deciding factor or the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was a, it was a factor.
2: It was a straw that was put on the camel's back for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You
3: know when people say,
2: and and we can all attest to it, fear is something that changes in you when you have kids. You, yeah. you you all of a sudden, it's kind of a weird thing. I don't guess growing up I ever really feared death, but and I still don't. It's like I just fear being absent. And not being able to help my kids grow up and leading my kids and you know being there for my kids and the milestones and walking them down the aisle and watching them graduate and those things. So, yeah, as a dad, your fears change. You 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 all of a sudden don't worry about your well-being as much as you know your kids' well-being. And part of that is, man, I want to be around to be there for the moments they need me and all that. So, yeah, for sure. Well, like a uh, like the rest of us, man, we we call you a friend, but we really do thank you for your service and we know we know you're friends with a lot of guys that are still serving to this day so from all of us pass on to them that um, we really appreciate what they do day in and day out and and quite honestly putting their life on the line just to keep us safe so I can get in line and get my chick-fil-a and do all my normal things that I don't have to worry about my safety because you guys mm. are out there you know being the
4: shield for all of us so big thanks from all of us oh I do have two fact checks for you uh, AIT stands for Advanced, Advanced Individual Training Individual oh, Training came excellent in. and uh, you mentioned police auctions it's actually policeauctions.com okay uh, so if you're looking have you, for, have a, you bought anything during the <laughs> podcast no. I got an eye on this uh, really sweet watch for $41 so. is there a 1985
2: cruiser on there I've been wanting one of those <laughs> it may or may not have There's come a lot from of a drug, stuff drug dealers so,
4: yeah, so, no, thanks for being on there. yeah I'm man sure. awesome thanks yeah thanks That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. The denominators are Ryan Smith, Kyle Binkley, Lance Jones, and me, Adam Ray. Thanks to Chet Roberts for providing our music. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button and tell a friend. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CommonPod. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-P-O-D. And if you have a question or a comment for our group, or you'd like to submit an idea for a future podcast, please email us at commondenominators at gmail.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N denominators at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.